Here we go. One, two, three, clap. <laughs> we did good. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a mystery of the internet how that works. Yeah. But. You know, we were uh, we had a kind of a family movie night the other night, and we thought, what could what's like what's a classic one that the their kids are at an age where they can kind of handle you know yeah. stuff for older people and uh, talking it through with them as parents when they have questions and stuff. But we're like, what movie did I love when I was a kid? And it was Back to the Future. Oh yeah! So, Plus, there's two sequels. <laughs> yeah, well, we we pulled it up, and Ian was like, "There's two more!" So everyone's all excited <laughs> about our. About our journey through the through the trilogy, but man, what a fun movie, and and the kids loved it. But it reminds That's me great. of like of time travel, like we're all doing it at the same time, trying to oh. yeah sync up. But yeah. uh, you know, we're all a few seconds off from each other. So, so but in theory, the theory of it is that we actually all did that simultaneously, or is the delay that we experience all just so constant for our entire conversation that the audio. You, it syncs up and you're counterbalancing our out of syncness. Do you know which one yeah, it is? It's, it's the counterbalance because I, mm. if I'm saying every word I'm saying right now is being delayed to both of you. I don't get it. I mean, I get it, yeah. but it, it really blows my mind that then you can take a recording of this and it makes sense without there being really long pauses. I think Matt, you just have to revisit Back to the Future, and it all, all <laughs> it will all become clear to you. Let Doc Brown explain it to you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Curious Church Podcast. I'm your co-host, Aaron Antone, and with me, to my right. Let's see. You'd be actually to my left. Okay, I, I changed my body position so that you are to my left. Is uh, is the, our our co-host Matt Timms? Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining me again today. Yeah, Aaron, my pleasure. <laughs> I have no idea how I looked on your screen, so I wasn't sure whether you're going to me or whether you're going to a guest first. But I was doing I was doing actual real world space, so uh, I know your okay. screen yeah, is yeah, in yeah. front of is in front of me, right. but. Uh, yeah, to my I changed my body so that the left was northeast, north northeast, and like, uh, yeah. and sure enough, there you were. This is what we yeah. need. This is what in a, in an era where we are increasingly disembodied because of screens and social distancing. I need to know exactly where I am physically with relationship to you. So thank you, thank you. Yeah, we should update is, the listener because the list the listeners. The listeners, I think, really care where we record from every time we do this remotely. Yeah. Like, I think they're yeah. prob- there's probably someone who has started a, a Google spreadsheet and is starting to chart out where's Aaron, where's Matt, where's their guest. Uh, sure. So you are coming from the same closet. Is that right? Yeah, this is the, this is the closet that I share with my wife. And uh, I made sure that her side of it was something that you guys could see while we recorded. And uh, <laughs> I know that, that, that she would be thrilled thrilled with that idea yeah but th- thankfully not a visual medium except for uh <laughs> other the two people on the screen with me that's right <laughs> yeah and i'm recording from my third place it's a different place i recorded from one closet at home i've recorded from the other closet at home i'm now in the office so i'm just kind of testing out you know which one feels best which is most podcasty to me but this yeah, is you've I'm had actually a, a taste of all. Yeah, all I'm in, What are you? Where are you I'm at in, so far? Well, I'm now in the usual podcasting studio, right? Because usually we would record oh, here. Yeah. So I'm I'm feeling about 49 episodes of magic coursing through my blood as I uh, get ready. Here. We're gonna lean on you to bring it. You yeah, we really got to get that magic. We, well, we really got to get to the person we're really counting on to bring it today, which is <laughs> the one and only Reverend Doctor Kevin Adams. Kevin, welcome. Hey guys, glad to be joining you live from Grand Springs Church. <laughs> also to my north, northeast. Also, I'm yeah. also on your left. I yeah. was thinking maybe I'd get to be on your right. You know, uh, Jesus said the right uh, people on the right had uh-huh. a little special place. There so I was hoping go. I'd get on the right. Let's, but let's, okay, let's I'm in of, at least. You're at, you're at, of course, that's kind of funny because if I were in my office, you would be to my right with Matt to my left. Maybe I should have come in today to do this. That could have been fun. Just all oh, in separate r- separate offices down the hall. Yeah, yeah. We could find closets at church too if you guys, you know, <laughs> if it's a closet theme. That's true. 
Uh, well, thanks, Kevin, for being willing to try one of these distanced podcast recordings. Always great to be with you guys. And, you know, seeing Aaron's closet is just an extra slice of magic. What, what's not to like about that? I, I can tell you one thing I don't like about it is there's no uh, HVAC in this oh. particular oh. room. <laughs> this is going to be a short episode is yeah. what you're saying. Short and sweaty. <laughs> short yeah. and sweaty. That's right. Yeah. You're not the only podcaster I've heard uh, mention that for those who are doing things in their attics or in closets that it oh, gets yeah. sweltering quickly. So Yeah. 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 Well, on that note, should we keep moving? <laughs> the segment today is... Uh, return to a classic, my list. All yeah. right, here's, here's the list I'm bringing. I'm bringing four things I've learned so far as a parent. Oliver is seven and a half weeks old. I feel highly experienced now. I feel very Wait, you're cutting Wait, week, you're cutting weeks in half? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> this, is new, this is new to me. <laughs> I, you know, we've graduated from days. We've graduated from counting days. We're now at, at weeks and half weeks. Well, we're, okay. we're, we're recording on a Wednesday, which is naturally in the middle of the week. So it just felt like he was born on a Saturday. So it's easy in that oh. case. I might have rounded up or down had we been Tuesday or Thursday, okay? It might have been seven and two thirds. <laughs> That's right. If it were tomorrow. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I go by I go by sevenths. It would have been four sevenths tomorrow. So <laughs> four sevenths, yes. All right. So here's my four things I've learned. Number one. Each of these, these lists are five, but I mean, I won't keep, I won't keep interrupting you, but I Maybe. just want to point out that's usually five. Yeah, that's true. I think you should add one, Aaron. But really, you can, you can do it at the end. But yeah. really, I think we, it's yeah. There you go. You can contribute a fifth. How about all right? That? Yeah, uh, I love it. Since actually the the premise of my list was not that there was any particular structure, I just want to return to this oft debated uh, point. <laughs> um, Sam once brought a spectrum. <laughs> That was not a list. The spectrum is not a list, but the number of points on the list is uh, not necessarily has to be five. Number one, still up for still up for debate, but uh, we'll do that a different day, <laughs> we'll different, different time. time. We'll have a whole yeah. well. Let's have a whole podcast sometime about debating the rules of each of our segments. Um, I like it. Number one, this surprised me. You can survive waking up multiple times at night. So I I need to make a big caveat here. Oliver is a very good sleeper. We are getting a decent amount, total amount of sleep each night. But we are still waking up once or twice, and early on it felt like more times a night. And if you had told me that, okay, you will get a reasonable amount, you'll get six to seven, seven and a half hours of sleep a night, but you will, that will be interrupted every two hours. If you told me that eight weeks ago, I would have said <laughs> there's no way. I'm going to be comatose. That's impossible. The human body... Uh, wonders we have not tapped. It's it's not it's it's inconceivable that I would be able to even have a conversation. That I would record a podcast that Aaron would be in his wife's closet talking to me, <laughs> and I would be able to hold on this conversation. But I found it's true, and it's amazing. And people say this. These are almost things that people told you, me that I didn't believe. People said you mm. get used to it, your body adjusts. You I don't know need less sleep, and it's been true. I can survive being woken up a couple times a night so kudos and not to interrupt too every every time but survive what talk about surviving a little bit what does that mean well i think it means that i'm not totally uh incoherent and i can form complete thoughts and now i'm back at work so that requires a certain kind of mental energy so the fact that i'm not sort of passing out at 6 p.m each night on the couch feels like that's a good survival yeah, good that's good. Yeah, so that feels good. Yeah, feel free to comment comment along the way, you know, because I'm I'm curious if these resonate. Uh, here's number two. Babies really do have different cries for different things. I before Oliver had not had a ton of experience with infants, but had always heard parents say like, "Oh, you can kind of tell, like their cries," and I always thought that was probably like a bit of hogwash. Like it's just a parent kind of loving their child but it's there's some truth to this you i mean i here's here's how i'll nuance this i don't think there's like i can't tell any difference between necessarily a hunger cry and uh i don't know uh or like levels of hunger like oh i can tell he's very hungry 
or not hungry, or he's just cranky versus hungry. But it is true that he has cries that are kind of squawks, like he clearly just wants attention. There, He has cries that are like painful, like he's clearly agonized. There's the cry that he develops when he's just like worked himself up and he just needs to calm down. And I found myself becoming, uh, well, my, my dad always, when I was a kid, would tell us, you're fine. Didn't matter what had happened. Like, we could, like, be bleeding. He'd just be like, you're fine. And I find myself channeling my father because I'll hear Oliver, like, one of Oliver's more meaningless cries and just be like, hey, you're fine. You're being melodramatic. Chill out. Uh, because I think, I think I can tell the difference. And that's really surprised me. Wouldn't have expected that. Aaron, as I said all this, you were confirming that you, also, that you thought this was hogwash. Well, you are a father. I, my- I'm very curious. Yeah, in my experience, I mean, I haven't had this experience where I could tell from different cries. Um, I bet, I bet there are um, other parents of my children who would be able to discer- have discerned those cries. Maybe I just wasn't in tune necessarily to their <laughs> needs. I felt a little useless, frankly, as a dad the first uh, year or so. Um, but I do definitely subscribe to the uh, "you're fine" theory of <laughs> parenting. <laughs> Your fine is is and has been an essential phrase in my daddy so repertoire. Not, not because so, Matt's yeah. dad was from Australia. This is not an Australian specific thing. This is more of a human <laughs> nature kind of thing. You're fine. I think. Yeah. How about well, you, Kevin? Did you have a lot of your fine in your uh, parenting? I think so. Yeah. You you need to be fine. It's 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 going to be okay. It's going to yeah, be it's, okay. It's going to be okay. It's so funny because like I think before I was like okay. That, that always drove me a little bit crazy growing up, like if I wasn't fine. And so I thought, yeah. you know what? That, I'll never do uh, that. You want to honor the child's, you want to honor the child's needs. You want to honor. And then within seven weeks, I'm like, you're fine. <laughs> like that. Okay. That's out the window. Like you're just going to be a melodramatic child. Like we're not, we're not going to play those games. So yeah, you know, it surprised me a little bit, but so number two is babies really do have some kind of different cries. Number three, and this was interesting to me, and this is just my experience, I found that you fall in love with your child over time far more than all at once. I feel like when Oliver was born, it, people have often talked about that moment as the moment that changes your life. You, you will see him and you'll realize he's your son and suddenly it was like it, you expect the heavens to open or suddenly it's sort of a chamber of your heart. You realize you have a fifth chamber in your heart that never existed before. <laughs> Uh, and that uh, that wasn't my experience, really. I, I that might be in part because um, when Oliver was born, he had to be rushed off to the NICU pretty quickly. We just got a few minutes with him initially, and then he was having just a little bit of trouble breathing. So he was kind of going off, not in kind of full code emergency, but in the sense that there were a bunch of people there, and then he didn't get to hang out with just Rachel and I. Um, so that might be part of kind of what influences the first kind of 24 hours was a bit of blur with some medical stuff. Uh, But I found that far more, like, which seems to be how love works in general, it deepens over time rather than being sort of a a bam, whack you upside the head all at once in a moment kind of experience, which surprised me because it feels like that's often how people talk about birth. Uh, So I don't know if I'm just, um, you know, if that's sort of a sociopathic thing to admit on a podcast and I just made a huge mistake or. (laughs) There are therapists calling in right now. We have we have eight (laughs) eight lined up to talk to you, Matt. Eight therapists all (laughs) vying for number one place. That's right. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked a lot on the podcast about slow worship in (laughs) terms of not not waiting for that big bang conversion bang. Uh, but having it be sort of ingrained in your in your life day to day, uh, this you're like slow. You're slow parenting. Yes, that's well uh, said, yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was the third thing. The fourth thing is the best way to deal with a blowout <laughs> is just one wipe at a time. <laughs> I, without getting too graphic, there oh, have been no. times. Here we go. There have been times where Oliver. Uh, has managed to share his excrement with my entire (laughs) physical person. And in that moment, it feels very overwhelming in terms of what do you even do when it's on the floor, it's on your clothing, it's on the change table, it's on hand. What, 
And I just realized you have to just take it one wipe at a time. You just have to start cleaning something. <laughs> and eventually, <laughs> eventually, you, eventually it will all be clean. It might take a long time. It might take a lot of wipes, but you will get there. And uh, there's, there's a real life lesson, I think. That's pretty yeah, that good. That, that's good advice. Yeah. 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 Do you, so what's your triage situation? What gets cleaned first? Uh, good question. So like the time go to the source, go to the source first. No, go for the carpet. Maybe I don't think so. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately we have uh, laminate floors, so I haven't had to deal with carpet. Oh my goodness. That would be, I, I shudder at even the thought of having carpet. Oh man. Um, so yeah, I think it's usually like my clothes, like anything that might still be dripping is <laughs> basically like where it needs to start. So in other words, we need to stop, we need to stop the damage from continuing uh-huh. and then uh-huh. you work, work backwards from there. And usually then the floor is the next place because I don't want, as I'm, my feet are moving around to be making things worse. So yeah, so it's kind of from the uh, bottom up then. Smart. One wipe, One wipe at, a time. at a time. One wipe at a time. All right. Those were my four things. I'm open to fifth and sixth things from you guys. Yeah. Uh, go, Kevin, do you have any well, thoughts? My, my thoughts go like this. So my oldest turned 30 uh, a couple months ago. So I'm still, I'm still, um, <clears throat> try, I'm still adjusting to that reality. But I'll, I'll just say this. Yeah. Wow. And I've thought this for a long time, actually. Every age is a great age. Like some people say, I can't wait. Mm. Like as a dad, I think Aaron kind of hinted at this before. You kind of say, I, I'm going to be able to relate to the kid at two better than I can at two months. And there's there's truth to that, I think. But every age has its own kind of intricacies and interests. And people say, oh, it's because you're so distant from the realities Matt's at. Well, that may be part of it. But um, every age has its unique kind of challenges for sure. Um, and moments of you'll be fine. But I'm just kind of struck by every age is really interesting and intriguing. Some people say, I didn't like my kids when they were toddlers. I thought, oh, that, that was a fun stage. That's pretty intense stage was what you're describing, Matt. Hmm. Some people say, I didn't like my kids when they were teenagers. You know, the old Mark Twain thing, put them in a barrel, feed them through a hole, and then when they become a teenager, plug the hole kind of thing. But I found teenagers <laughs> very interesting as well. So uh, maybe that sounds nostalgic, but I'm now living with three of my three adult children all in the house working yeah. from home. So I don't think it's complete right. nostalgia. No, that's, <laughs> that's great. And, you know, I think even if it is, then that's a wonderful thing that you've been able to kind of internalize over yeah, time. Right. Right. Like to look back with fondness on each of those stages as a gift. So that's good. I like that. Aaron, top uh, And that. now you have top <laughs> that, Aaron. Uh, I I, <laughs> Walk that back. I don't I don't have anything to add, uh, Matt. After I have a ten-year-old and an eight-year-old, and those are still pretty much the main, the main four things <laughs> that I think about as a parent. Pullouts <laughs> and crying, <laughs> one wipe at a time, still applies. You're still falling in love with your children. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yep, it is. that's true. That's you probably true. you probably sleep a little better though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do sleep all night long. That's good. It's yep, yeah, and. Uh, Honestly, I did most of the time when they were infants as well. That was sort of sort of mom's department. Got Somebody's got to be fresh in the morning was my theory. I think that's called delegation, right? That's that's just in, in, in the leadership world. It's just, you know, clearly breaking down tasks. We're all taking on roles that, that play to our strengths. That's what I'm, <laughs> the way I look at it. There you go. Well, thanks. Thanks for indulging my list. A, a great just, list. Good I list. I had to get those off my chest. We were we've been we've been chatting and catching up, and I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that. But it seems like at some point we'll have to move into something with some depth and uh, that might be helpful to our, our our listeners. What do you think, Matt? Is it yeah. time for a curious our curious conversation? Let's do it. Let's do it, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a conversation. I, I mean, we have we have Kevin here. We don't want to waste his whole afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> very very true. Let's not waste it. Well, we, we had we have ke- had Kevin on. We've wanted to have Kevin on for months. And then, you know, things happened. But a huge reason to have Kevin on is because of Kevin himself. But a second, also good reason to have Kevin on, is I was just looking at the copyright here. 
about 20 years ago, in 2019, Kevin had a book published. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels, isn't yeah. it? If this was a visual medium, you would see it in my hands. It is called The Gospel in a Handshake, Framing Worship for Mission. And we wanted to have a conversation today, not about the whole book, because we want to entice listeners to read it, and they should. They should go on to their bookstore uh, of preference online and uh, purchase it. But we did want to do a little bit, have Kevin give us a little bit of orientation to the book, the what and the why, and then spend some time. There's a really uh, intriguing last chapter uh, about sincerity and uh, what that looks like, both for worship leaders and for worshipers. So that's a little bit kind of roadmap, I think, of where our conversation's going. If you were to get the book and you'd read it, you would probably notice, if you've been a faithful and avid listener to Curious Church, that a number of these things have been talked about, with sometimes with Kevin and sometimes without Kevin, throughout the episode, which is a testament, I think, to Kevin's enduring influence on yeah. the Curious Church podcast. That yeah. now, But now it is uh, much more articulately rendered into a published book form. So, Kevin, congrats, first of all, congrats, of course, again on the book. Thanks, guys. We can't, That's great. Yeah, we can't say that enough. That was eons ago, yeah. but that was great. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a it's a truly a, it, it is truly an accomplishment, and I will I can vouch for the the quality of the material inside. Like uh, as a, as a totally unbiased reviewer, who uh, may or may not have gotten a free signed copy, <laughs> nonetheless, I can vouch for its its high quality. And with those glowing endorsements, that's our podcast. That's our podcast. <laughs> that's Go by. All it. good. What else do we need to say? That's great. No, Kevin. I wonder if you could. So it's called the Gospel in a Handshake: Framing Worship for Mission. Could you give us like the brief? And by brief, you know, you know how brief we are on this podcast. So feel free to go as long as you need. Uh, but the kind of what and why of the book, like what, what in in a nutshell is it about? And then what drove you to actually write this? Well, sure. The The place to start maybe is the subtitle, Framing Worship for Mission, because the book comes out of a, an extended conversation we've had at our congregation, and that it turns out congregations all across North America and the world, frankly, are having. Um, and it's this conversation about what involve, what is involved in worship, or what parts of worship should be included in a regular Sunday or whatever day people have at worship service. And uh, one of my arguments in the book, one of the things that people have been learning, I think, besides us, but also us as a congregation, is that it's a beautiful thing to have these ancient practices. So we don't think, oh, we need to come up with something new and exciting. We need to reinvent the wheel. We need to make God exciting. We need to make the Bible exciting. The Bible itself is inherently interesting. God himself is amazing and majestic and beyond us. And it turns out that the classic worship elements are also a phenomenal and interesting and beyond us in these beautiful ways. So rather than, you know, creating sizzle or creating something new or shiny, we can just point to these beautiful things and get to know God and get to know ourselves. And so framing is these little introductory words, sometimes uh, following words from a, a worship element that in a sense guide or set up a listener to know what's coming. Mm. And if, it turns out we do this all the time, right? You bring your new girlfriend to Thanksgiving and you say, hey, before we show up, I need to tell you about Uncle Frank. Now, here's the deal with Uncle Frank. <laughs> That's a bit of a framing kind right. of thing, right? Yeah. Or sometimes before you introduce someone to your favorite beer, you'll say, okay, now I've tasted a lot of beer and here's, where, here's how this one kind of relates or fits in. Maybe you've made a trek to Santa Rosa, some special place. So we do this a lot, but the idea is to do this in a winsome, brief, captivating way that just simply points people to the treasure in these ancient worship practices rather than us being forced. A friend of mine, uh, Father Chris Flosaurus, who's also been a guest on the podcast, left a worship seminar, uh, like a three-day worship seminar, and he said, I'm exhausted. I feel so terribly bad for you Protestants. And I said, why do you feel that way? He said, because you're trying to make things up every single week. There's so much pressure on you to make. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just receive the liturgy as a gift and live in it and point to God's grace. And uh, that stuck with me and that, that shaped the book as well. One of the things I appreciate about what you're saying, Kevin, is you're make, there's actually like a depth and there's multi-layered to what you're saying. In other words, you're not merely making an argument for the old things. 
Uh, you're right. Uh, because there's that version of the book that just kind of argues, oh, old things are better than new things. And, you know, <laughs> do that. Uh, that's not what you're doing. You're in fact saying like the, we, we are, we help bridge, right. To and we kind of tap into the best of these ancient practices and that's where the framing really comes in. So I, I see it kind of as a two pronged, but it makes for a really rich conversation because, uh, you are both like you're not discarding the new for the old because there are new ways, there are fresh ways, and you give a lot of those examples uh, for readers who are interested. You give a ton of examples. I was kind of blown away by how many you'd written of these worship yeah. frames uh, for this book, and so there's fresh ways to do this while still tapping into the ancient kind of practices, which I really appreciate. That's great, Matt. I appreciate that a lot. And it's, it really turns out to be true, right? These old, I think one of the, the things we learn as pastors or we learn as worship leaders like Aaron, or we learn as uh, people uh, who are worshipers is to point to the old, is, is how those old treasures apply and fit in our specific context. Yeah. And so whether it's us as worship leaders trying to design us or, or um, point to the worship elements themselves, or whether it's worshipers who leave and say, no, I'm going to live this in my neighborhood. That combination is a winning combination, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, if people are interested, we've talked about framing in, I think, episode six of the podcast. We've talked about Ordo, which is some of this kind of ancient structure of the liturgy in a past episode as well. So you can go back and dive into that if you want to hear some of Kevin's wisdom. Uh, and in fact, Melanie Ross, who I think uh, Kevin channels in the Ordo episode, in talking right. in talking about kind of the structure of worship if you flip over the back of kevin's book is an endorser of kevin's book whoa oh, thank you melanie thank you melanie so that's pretty great but i'd love to kind of transition us a little bit to talk about this idea of sincerity because i was i was fascinated it's this final chapter but it's not really a spoiler alert because uh it, it doesn't the book isn't necessarily building to this final chapter it's just a final chapter of additional wisdom really uh, but there's this final chapter where you talk about the dark side, the potential dark side of framing, which really kind of blew blew my mind when I was first reading it because the whole book is quite positive about framing and it's talking about this. And then we get to this final chapter where you kind of acknowledge, uh, actually, there's also, there can be a manipulative side of framing. There can be um, sort of, yeah, a, a twist or a dark side. Aaron's nodding as I say this, which makes me think he has often manipulated people through his framing. But, <laughs> but that's so so interesting. Like what like what drew you to even think about that, Kevin, in the first place? And then we can kind of dive into talking a little bit about that dark side and how that fits with our views of sincerity and who we are. Yeah, that's great, Matt. Every uh, project like this is a collaborative project. So even though it's got my name as author, we as a congregation have been engaged in this practice of framing. Uh, you guys on the podcast with me have been doing this in a very self-conscious and I think um, helpful way. And so each time, each month that goes by, every year that goes by, every conversation that goes by, I've been able to lead seminars at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship's annual symposium. And so then there's a broad group of people being able to speak in to this practice from a variety of traditions. So, um, yeah, that, that all becomes part of the conversation. And along the way I had when I was um, done with the letters, so the book is imagined as a conversation between me and a kind of a rookie worship leader. And I love what my friend Neil Planninga said is this isn't just a book for worship leaders, it's for all worshipers yeah. as a way to understand it, which I really appreciate it. After the letters were done, this kind of this uh, kind of moving through a year of leading worship for the first time or engaging worship for a, in a fresh kind of way, I sent it to three friends who are readers and said, "Okay, now before I publish this or or ask it to be published, uh, give me some insight. What do you think?" And one of these friends, in a very keen way, said, "Have you thought about uh, sincerity?" Have you thought, or really, he didn't even use the word sincerity. He said, have you thought about the dark side of framing? Well, I hadn't. <laughs> so it's because of this friend that uh, the chapter was written, so I owe him a debt. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a really kind of interesting move to make at the end and to maybe connect the dots a little bit between the dark side of framing and sincerity. You talk about, uh, here's a quote from... Uh, that chapter sincerity may be the unending desire of our generation 
Worship leaders and worshipers focus repeatedly on soul-searching questions like, are we sincere? Is our worship sincere? Are our songs and prayers authentic? How can I be certain of my own sincerity as a worship leader? Which is such a wonderful meta question <laughs> that like it becomes sort of self-reflective. It's like you're looking to holding up two mirrors, right? And it's just the endless hallway between them as you start kind of right. exploring those. But I think one of the things about the, the dark side and one of the challenges of framing is how to navigate, yeah, who, who we are, what we are bringing uh, when we come into, when we come to bring these frames and the place of it. And you actually argue, uh, you actually argue in this chapter that sincerity is not sort of a, necessarily the ultimate thing we should be holding up, which that was really interesting to me because it feels like, yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it's the unending desire of our generation in that everyone, the thought of saying a frame might be insincere feels like utter blasphemy. And I, you're not necessarily arguing that uh, everyone should be trying to make insincere frames, um, but that that wouldn't be... Let's try that for a few yeah, minutes that's right. see how it works. But you are saying that that's not the even... Are you saying it's not even the primary kind of way of measuring or evaluating or engaging in this kind of act of worship framing? Sure. Yeah, that's that's really well set up, Matt. Um, yeah, what, what I'm saying is it's it's good to be sincere, and you... The Apostle Paul talks about sincerity in worship, and he models sincerity. But he also points to people who are kind of louses in uh, in their worship leading. They're doing it for them themselves. They're doing it for their own fame and their own glory. And it probably doesn't take a lot of time on the internet to say, "Now I can't be sure that this person is insincere." But it feels to me like when they're as concerned about their private jet, let's say, as an extreme example compared to some uh, poor parishioner, that it feels insincere. But yeah, what I'm arguing in the chapter is that um, desire for sincerity or the obsession, we might say, mm -hmm. with sincerity is really kind of a false idol. Um, or it's, yeah, it's a false god, right? It's an idol that, that really makes worship about ourselves eventually. So then we look for someone or we try to create in ourselves. It becomes part of what my friend Father Chris says, right? Then worship is in some ways about us and our cleverness or our sincerity, yeah. or our innovation, rather than simply pointing to the beauty of God and pointing mm -hmm. to the treasures that God has given us, pointing to his grace, really. Yeah. Aaron, I'm curious about kind of your experience with this, because, I mean, I think this applies to anyone who leads any part of a, of a lit liturgy, but musicians often yeah. in our uh, <clears throat> liturgy are front and center uh, for a larger chunk of it. Um, yeah. And so, like, I, I'm just curious, like, yeah, when you think about being sincere, uh, but also, like, not having that be an idol, like, like, how does that map to your experience? Like, is this, are you like, yeah, it's it's easy for me to be sincere? Are you, oh, I don't care about being sincere? Like, where, where do you kind of, what's your experience <laughs> been like as a worship leader for so many years? You know, it's it's it was really interesting to hear, Kevin. You you think of sincerity as as an idol, like if it's something we're really in pursuit of, it sort of it takes us off of the main path and the whole like point of worship, which is to point away from ourselves. And I think when we think so much about how sincere we are, or how sincere others are being, mm -hmm. or where you know it, did this thing really come from the heart? It's it's really detracting from what worship is supposed to be in the first place. I, th I think we tend to think it has to be sort of, there has to be this emotional sincerity that's happening. Oh. Um, but I wonder if it has more to do with with practice. Like uh, it's the it's the thing that we're doing uh, is is by it's almost sincere in that we're doing it. This is how, this is why we can easily lean on ancient practices instead of making up new things to be sincere about because we can. Um, I know I'm skipping all over the place. I remember Sam Gutierrez kind of talking about if you're new, say, to the Apostles' Creed and you're saying these words and you're not really sure yet if you believe them, it's like trying on clothes that don't fit you yet, um, but that you will yeah. grow into. And I think sincerity uh, is like that as well. Like you, if you're if you're practicing uh, and you're you're using ancient, tried and true. Uh, Lit, uh, liturgies and you are uh, you're sharing the, the, the gospel <laughs> for what it really is without adding any of your own spin to it uh, mm -hmm. then you are being as sincere as you can be 
Yeah. So I think it's simple. I think it's simple. I think sincerity is simpler than we. It's like, in some sense, super complicated, but in another sense, super simple. I think if we think of it as practice, but that's just kind of. Those are my thoughts this morning when I was kind of thinking about what we might talk about. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Aaron, and really uh, put put well um, that what we're after isn't kind of an our own kind of satisfaction with ourselves, but what we're trying and we we do by the way want authenticity. All the other practices of the church try to create a connection, a deep connection between a worship leader and a worshiper and the God we worship. But what we're saying is. Uh, God's grace is happening, let's say in Eucharist, uh, even if the worship leader is maybe 65% sincere, or maybe 80% sincere, or maybe even if they're 25 or 15% sincere, God will still speak, and God will still be present. Um, so we access this by faith, but it's not our own sincerity, or the, even the worship leader's sincerity. Now, over time, uh, a cancer can develop in a church if yeah. someone is insincere and malicious and conniving. But it means that moment by moment, we don't have to be checking, taking our spiritual temperature every three mm. minutes to say, am I sincere now? Instead, we can point to the one who gives us his grace and uh, loves us and enraptures us with his beauty. I love that. One of the things I heard, Aaron, and what you were saying is you were kind of distinguishing this emotional sincerity, this sort of spiritual temperature taking, to use what Kevin yeah. said, which is great, from... Yeah. Uh, from almost like an attentive, an attentiveness to what we're engaging with, right? So, and then th yeah. from that, so you weren't saying, in other words, like do the practice, but just mouth the words and don't be aware of what you're doing. There was kind of like, if you were doing the thing and you were attentive to what you were doing. So if you are, if you're worshiping God and you are attentive to worshiping God, then in fact, that then sort of develops, that is a form of sincerity, it's a form of authenticity. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's true. I think the practice, I think the working at it and the thinking about it, uh, concentration, you know, even to an extent, sort of all uh, create a recipe. I think for sincerity, which maps I and a healthy. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Go ahead. I was just going to say I think a healthy community can really increase sincerity too. Yeah, a healthy community that says, "Aaron, we love you, and we love you so much that." Um, if we saw something that was inconsistent over time between what you're saying on Sunday and what you're living on Monday, and whether it's Matt or me as well, people would be honest enough and uh, trust each other and trust the depth of community to point out the inconsistencies. So we're not looking for inconsistencies, obviously, or trying to excuse them, but uh, pointing out that we need community as one of the gifts that point us to the truth, whether yeah. that's community uh, amongst the the people that we're in immediately with or the saints of all times and places as well. It seems like there's, I'm, I mean, I hear you right, Kevin. It feels like there's a tension here, both in sort of the uh, sincerity not being uh, the sort of end all, spiritual temperature taking not be the final thing. At the same time, we don't want to, we don't want to just become a bunch of insincere worship leaders or worshipers, right? <laughs> this applies, this applies right. uh, not just to worship leaders, really, but it's also to people who worship. And so we, we find ourselves somewhere in the freedom of knowing that worship is not about us and how sort of yeah. worked up we are, and also not wanting to just be completely disengaged, and that some p part of worship is our engagement with us, with it, right? And so there's both the grace, the grace of it not being all about us, and also always the invitation. But it's a much more, like as we talk about it, this is a much more invitational way to frame the conversation than to either say like oh well if, if you weren't weeping at the end of that song were you even worshiping <laughs> you know? right right yeah yeah and and that's why that's one of many reasons i appreciate the two of you and our church as a whole uh someone who was an intern pointed out you guys talk a lot about what happens on sunday what happens in a worship service like you care about all the words like they're really important to you and you spend time and thought so that is true and at the same time, it's true in a way where we're saying, despite the fact that we spend a lot of time preparing and a lot of energy thinking about this and even having a podcast now and then, <laughs> it's it's all as a way to say it's not about us. We're pointers or witnesses in, the, in a real sense. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that moves. Go ahead, Aaron. I, I, I didn't. I, I wanted to move a little bit, shift over to some notes that you made about uh, speaking, Kevin, about witnessing. So. Uh, Matt, you wrote, in other words, witnessing, 
witnessing to beauty helps us get outside of ourselves um, and uh, drives us back to sincerity. You can't truly glimpse beauty and not be sincere, which is like, I, th I think, a, a, an excellent way to describe both uh, engagement, but also not thinking about yourself all the time. So mm. if you, yeah, so I, I, I think that kind of tracks with what we're, with what we're talking about. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And that's the place, Kevin, you kind of land the, the plane in the chapter, right? So you kind of offer, uh, if, if we're not going to put sincerity as the ultimate measure of worship, here are kind of three ways to think about it. And one, one is to remember that we are, as worship leaders and worshipers, worshiping with, in the context of the communion of saints. So in other words, you're not the only one doing this. You're not the only one who has ever done it, but you are part of a, a larger group, and they are your brothers and sisters. They are, uh, you use the analogy of roommates actually quite a bit, uh, which both means you don't throw stones at them because they're living in the same place as you. Uh, right. But also like what they're doing uh, can be a helpful tool uh, for you in your framing. It's not all about you and have I just shared the most true thing to my heart, uh, right? Which I think is super helpful. And then the other two is that, it, that uh, worship is about pointing to something and then you make it really concrete with your last point that is about pointing to beauty, which I'm a little bit curious. Like, I'd love to hear more about why, why beauty as like, I can imagine versions of this book where someone ends and says, it's pointing to truth, to the truth with a capital T. <laughs> and in our culture, right. we need more truth, you know, or to the gospel or, but you land on this place of pointing to beauty and that we are witnesses to beauty. And that's part of what is going on in framing. Why, why beauty, Kevin, other than yourself being yeah. beautiful? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm very glad this is auto, audio recording and not a visual recording. Um, yeah, I think um, God is inherently beautiful, right? I mean, not only in what he does, but in who he is. I think there's a, I, I understand an English professor from Harvard University, Elaine Scarry, at least that was her profession last I knew. She wrote a book called On Beauty and Being Just. Mm. And what she says, it's, it, I mean, we want justice. God wants justice. God will not be satisfied till there's justice. But she points out that one of the ways toward justice is to focus on a thing of beauty. Because mm. beauty removes us from ourselves mm. and even our um, self-obsession and even our weaknesses and points us to something which, uh, even if we're not a believer, she would argue, that points us to a place where we say, I, I am taken outside of myself by being in, in touch with this beauty. And you see mm. this sometimes in an art gallery. You see this sometimes in worship. You see this sometimes when a child is being born. People are just outside themselves with uh, how they're experiencing things. It, it's different for different people, yeah. obviously. But yeah, beauty. And I'm part of that, I think, Matt, also is uh, Psalm 27 is always... Uh, in my mind and in my soul, I think one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Yeah. I, I mean, that's... I, I, love, I love this idea so much, Kevin. One thing about beauty is that you can't, like, control your reaction to beauty. Huh. Uh, and I, I, I think about, so over the summer, we had this family vacation to Yellowstone, and I saw... Lots of beautiful and amazing things, but there's like one particular geyser, and I hadn't seen a geyser. It's like our first day in the park. It wasn't like a big, like old faithful geyser. It was a like a little kind of a little guy, but <laughs> I had I hadn't seen a geyser before ever in my life, hmm. and uh, this was the first one that day, and we were kind of driving up to it. You could, like you could see it from the road, and I was driving up to it, and I pointed. With my family in the car, I pointed and I screamed about the geyser. I was just like so overwhelmed and so excited. Yeah. I had no idea how much of a fool I was making of myself or how much I was like deafening the rest of the car. But I was just like screaming and pointing. I was so overwhelmed by what I was seeing. And in some ways, I think that's how that's how we react with beauty. Like there's, my reaction was totally sincere. Like there was nothing theatrical about it. There was no self-analyzing how I was feeling about it. And when your, your question earlier, Matt, which is really good, like how, why do we not think, why do we not, why not truth? Why not uh, mm. uh, some, some other noble thing we should be pursuing? 
but something about beauty gives us sort of you, you lose control over your like your full humanness comes out and you lose control over uh how you feel about it yeah i love that yeah you didn't think in I that too. moment am i being authentic to this experience <laughs> right 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 <laughs> nor did you think oh how how are my wife and children uh receiving receiving me in this moment uh, am I leading them? Am I leading them into appreciation of this geyser appropriately? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was one of the things I appreciate. Like as I was, I kind of reread that chapter and was reflecting on that landing place. Kevin was just that it actually fundamentally brings us back to sincerity, but through the back door, not through the self-reflective uh, approach, where it's sort of how do we gin up or how do we double check that we're being sincere. But just through, Aaron, exactly what you're saying, you said so well, this sort of, uh, how how else could you react? How else could you respond? And of course, I mean, despite your children and wife maybe being slightly deafened, there's a certain joy to that moment, you know, (laughs) uh, that's infectious. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, I I mean, any any other thoughts, either on beauty or sincerity or framing, anything that you're like, this is, this is the thing that we should not miss in this conversation. Well, there's a lot, a lot to think about, a lot that goes through my mind. One of the things is um, I reference being in a monastery, I think, in part of the chapter. And one of the things I think the monks do well is they understand that it isn't about them, that they are entering in a practice or a way of worshiping, to put it that way, that is from the 600s that is, and maybe beyond that, that's hundreds of years old. So, but they have a way of imagining when they worship that the angels, not imagining, uh, pointing out that the angels are there as they worship, Mm. that Abraham and Sarah, the cloud of witnesses, are in some sense there, that St. Benedict in some sense is there. And not that we have to be obsessed about these people who've gone before us, but to have them with us as we worship. There are even prayers that acknowledge the saints being there and the angels being there and the church of all times and the church in glory already. And that that kind of fundamentally takes it off, the spotlight off ourselves as well, doesn't it? If the angels are there, (laughs) <laughs> well, what part do I play? I'm just like saying, over there, over there, that's where the geyser is. That's where the beauty is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's just, I think, worth thinking about. And I think uh, we can learn um, a lot from our Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox and some other sisters and brothers in the way they help us remember that and help each other remember that. Yeah. And I think we're, we're kind of catching up to that in some ways. But we see glimpses of it, right, in communion and Eucharist uh, every single week we're together. Yeah. Totally. I've thought a lot, quite a bit about sincerity with respect. We've been doing morning prayer throughout this pandemic. And the way that we structure our liturgy is incredibly repetitive. Uh, but it's also deliberately repetitive. It's, it's not accidentally yeah. so. Uh, there's new text from the lectionary uh, each day. But then the prayers, most prayers are kind of revisited on a two-week cycle. Um, and as someone who leads it, sometimes I, I find myself starting to become, I think at one point you talk about being a jumble of sincerity or something like that. I, get, I feel that temptation, right? Because it's like, okay, I've, I've prayed these a number of times. But you, every now and then, uh, and hopefully more frequently even, I get you get glimpses of these are words that have been prayed, uh, like by monks, by people for hundreds of years. These, these are words, these are the words that Jesus used to pray when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, for example. Right. Or these are passages that people have been reflecting on. And I think there is something in those moments, you kind of catch your breath a little bit, right? There's something really yeah. kind of literally awesome about being invited into those practices. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really insightful. Uh, some people know about this guy named C.S. Lewis, Jack, his friends called him. He was an atheist, skeptic turned believer and then a professor. And he would go to worship every single day. Mm. He would ex- experience the daily office. He would experience Psalms. So people thought at the end, he, he was a fairly bright guy put it mildly so but at the end of his life he probably knew most of the new testament by memory and the thought is he knew all the psalms by memory and he said rather than uh, a plea for innovation on board of the psalms he would get lost in them Mm -hmm. and i think of aaron's uh, beautiful work in versifying the psalms so we can sing them but i love that idea of getting lost in the psalms Mm -hmm. so even if you find yourself daydreaming a little bit you're still rooted they're in your heart they're at your very core and they become uh, shapers of your very being Kevin, that was that's perfect because there's no there's no way a curious church episode about worship should not be landing 
on a conversation about the Psalms. <laughs> I don't know that that's in the bylaws of the podcast charter or anything like that. It's, but it's, it, a, it's a handshake. If not, it should be. If not, it should be. Well, and, and not to draw out the point, but the Psalms teach us uh, that sincerity can clu- include anger yeah. and uh, rage and confusion and disorientation and befuddlement right. and distance from God and darkness. And it's, I mean, in some ways, if you want to look at the model of sincerity in all the confusing mm. tangle of emotions of life, yeah. there it is in the Psalms. So oh, to accent, so well put a little exclamation point on what you said. No, yeah. that's perfect. That, that, that feels that, like a good place. Oh, that's the, that is the place to yeah. land. Yeah. I just had one more. No, just kidding. No more points. <laughs> like, Kevin, well, Kevin, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, thanks, Kevin. Oh, yeah. For it's always so effortless when you come on, uh, and like every word feels uh, feels like gold. So, uh, which I do say with sincerity. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that, Matt? Are you sure about that, Aaron? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So thanks, thanks, thanks for taking some yeah, time thank today. You. We're grateful. Thanks, you guys. It's always a great, a great delight to be with you guys in any context. And the book again. We should let's hit the title. Let, let's let's let's, do, let's be a real professional podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Author is Kevin Adams. The book's title is "The Gospel in a Handshake: Framing Worship for Mission." Go out and find it. Pick up a copy and. Uh, enjoy really a wonderful wonderful piece of work so and we should thanks guys we should say to our granite springs family we miss you um and we hope that uh you're still able to to listen to this podcast and feel like we're in your home in your ears in your hearts uh and to our listeners around the world (laughs) in your closet uh thanks thanks everyone for listening and uh Until next time, I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. Thanks for being curious with us. Mm